How did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbox at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many questions as I can. You know, this week, uh, I learn what's called the daf. That means every, well, for me, it's every morning, bright and early. That's why I like it. Um, every morning, I study two sides of a page of Talmud. And many years ago, someone told me that it's always a, a good sign when something comes up that's timely. There's all kinds of topics. Things will come up, but certain things are timely, and it's very, it's a very good sign. Let's put it that way. It's a good sign when some of these things come up. And it happens to be this week is the famous story with Rabbi Akiva and his 12,000 pairs of students. Uh, interesting question why it doesn't just say 24,000 students. Instead, it says 12,000 pairs. But let's, let's get into the story that Talmud talks about, and that's really what we want to get into because we're in what's called the Days of Sephira. We mentioned last week, I believe, there's two parts. There is the counting of, it's not a countdown, it's really a count up, but we're counting the 49 days from the second day of Passover to get to the holiday of Shavuot, and that's the every day we count. We count days and weeks. For example, today happens to be 26 days, which is three weeks and five days. Okay, why we do both, that has to come from the verse, that's fine. However, there was also a tragedy that took place during these 49 days. The great Rabbi Akiva, he was the leading Talmudic sage, and the Torah would be disseminated through him and his students. Rabbi Akiva was so great. The Talmud tells us that when God showed Moses things would happen in the future, and Moses saw the great Rabbi Akiva, he was so overwhelmed. He said, he's so great. I uh, What's he talking about? Um, he should be the one receiving the Torah, and... The Talmud explains what happens over there. But this great Rabbi Akiva started, he had 24,000 students. And again, the Talmud, instead of saying 24,000, calls it 12,000 pairs because Torah study is supposed to be done in pairs. You have a study partner, you study better, you, you think better, there's clarity. I know myself, I could learn when I prepare, for example, to study with my children at night. You would think I don't have to, but yeah. So I'll prepare, and I'll go over the stuff, and I'll look it over, and then my son asks me a question. Those questions force me, in my mind, to clarify whatever the topic, subject, law, story, situation happens to be. So there's great importance to a study partner. In any case, during this 49-day window from the beginning of Passover through the Shavuot holiday, the Talmud says over 33 days, t these 12,000 pairs of students died. 
the the question becomes exactly which 33 days. And because of it, there's different rules and regulations, what we call the first half, what we call the second half. But in any case, that was this week's, um, in this week's Talmud, so it's just very apropos, and therefore we're going to spend a little bit more time on it. So um, those 24,000 die. Rabbi Akiva finds another five students, and these fa- famous five students, there's Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yossi, these famous students is where all, just about all the Mishnah and all the Torah study passed on through the generations comes from. So what do these 24,000, 12,000 students as were crying for all that lost Torah knowledge? Just imagine if instead of five great rabbis, there were 24,000. Imagine how great, how much Torah there would be. But they died. Why did they die? So the Talmud says they did not show proper respect for each other. It doesn't mean they were nasty to each other. They're mean to each other. They made fun of each other. Of course not. But they treated each other like friends. I'm a great rabbi. You are a great rabbi. Well, I have to stand up when you walk in. I'm just as great as you are. I have to talk with you with reverence. What what a saying. We're buddies. We both know everything. We're both great scholars. We could hang out. We could hang back. So the answer is no. When it comes to... Torah, any any person that is filled with Torah, he's like a Torah scroll. He's like a bookcase. He is knowledgeable. He has God's knowledge. He he is a great person. You respect a, a Torah scroll, you have to respect that great Talmudic scholar as well, even if you're his equal. So this lacking of understanding, this lack of respect, so God says, he cannot allow the continuation of Torah to come through these people where there's there's a problem in their in their attributes, in their midos, in the way they act. And that would be something, if that would be transmitted forward, that would be disastrous. So they had to die. They were great people, but Torah couldn't go through them. So therefore, during these days of Svira, so people... Um, don't take haircuts. It's sort of like we act as if we're mourning. Just to remember the loss, that great loss of Torah. During this period, we we're counting up to receive the Torah. So so we do a few things. We don't we don't like listen to music that would cause us to dance. We don't have weddings. We don't again take a haircut. Um, those are the basic rules of things we're careful about during this time period. It's interesting. There are those who say even, let's say you count what's called the first half, so you you count for the first th- 33 days in Omer, the famous Lagba Omer coming up next week, maybe we'll spend some time on it. Um, that ends the mourning period, but many people still won't make weddings till the Shavuot holiday, or at least till three days before. And the reason is because Hamelneki, uh, those pogroms, what we call the years of Tach v'tat, it's a Jewish counting. Um, the Chamaleki and his hordes killed thousands, wiped out hundreds of, of Jewish communities, I think back in the 1600s. So the rabbi said, or at least the Taz says, we don't even make weddings even on the second half 
of what we call this Sphira period. Again, to remember all those tragedies, um, Detroit is famous for being strict on that custom. In other words, even if most of the world will make weddings, happens to be the community, the Jewish community of Detroit has always been strict with those rules, and they will not make weddings. We don't make that many weddings around here. Anyways, most people end up making the weddings on the East Coast. But in the city of Detroit, almost forever, um, this what we call the second half of Sphera, people don't make weddings. And almost for the same reason, um, we don't make our school dinner then because we like to have music, we like to have a choir. So even that we don't, uh, we don't do. Okay, so I figure this becomes a great opportunity once we're talking about this Sphira's Omer time period. So there's a very beautiful Mishnah. The Mishnah says the 48 ways to acquire Torah. Now there's 49 days between, uh, again, from when we start counting. There's 49 days we count. The next day is the Shavuot holiday. But the Mishnah has 48 ways. So they say every day you should at least work on one of these um, ideas. And then on day 49, give a quick review or a long review. I don't think it says quick review. Give a review. So the first group of, of, uh, of what we call, again, these 48 ways to acquire Torah, the first group, I don't think, personally, I could be wrong, I don't think they're exclusive to Torah study. I think when you hear some of these ideas, you recognize that they could apply to any kind of knowledge. But as we move through the list, and we'll get through, I don't know, if I could do 10, 12 today, that would be, that would be great. As we move through the list, some of them we're going to see apply to Torah only, and we're going to have to talk why they apply to Torah only. And some of them could apply to any kind of knowledge. For example, um, the first one is you got to study. So for the most part, there is no there's no knowledge you can get without actually putting in some effort of study. You don't learn this stuff. You can't know it. It doesn't it just doesn't work. Um, a second one becomes listening, right? In other words, whether it's a, you know, it's a great rabbi giving a lecture, whether it's two peers that are studying with each other, if you can't listen, right, then you don't know anything. The great, um, there were the two great houses of Hillel and Shammai. They had be, both had schools: the school of Hillel, the school of Shammai. So they argued, even though their teachers, Hillel and Shammai. In the Mishnah, only argue in three cases, but their students actually argued in hundreds of cases. So that means that they, I guess there was a lack of listening because they didn't get everything clear enough to know what the teacher said. Fine, but we can take it a step further. Very fascinating. Um, in almost every Mishnah that has an argument between what we call base Hillel. Shammai, the house of Hill and the house of Shammai, uh, the house of Shammai always goes first. First it says what Shammai says. Then it says what Base Hill says. So I teach my students, and this is how some people explain, because this is how the argument would go. Base Shammai would say what they felt. Base Hillel would say, okay, I understand. Let me repeat. Let me say what Base Shammai says. I understand what they say, and I still argue. Right, so I listened to you, I paid attention to you. I mean, this again is a, a good lesson for everything. But we happen to be discussing 
um, Torah study. But this concept is important everywhere. First, I have to listen. Do I understand what you're talking about? Did I pay attention to you? After I paid attention and I listened and I still argue, okay, that's how you have a discussion. That's how you can have an argument. I heard what you had to say and I still disagree because Beis Hill did that consistently. So that's one of the reasons that the law almost always follows Beis Hill. I say almost always there's uh, about 18 exceptions. That's for something in track date in, the, in Shabbos. That's, that's not for now. Um, the idea of listening, it's fascinating. Um, you know, with my headphones, I can hear everything over here loud and clear. But uh, one of my younger children, he talks very fast. He mumbles. And sometimes I ask him, I say, could you say it again? And he gets very frustrated because he thinks I'm not listening to him. I am listening to him. I just didn't understand what he wanted. So just please say it again. I explained to him last week. I said, don't get upset. You think I'm not listening. I'm listening. I didn't hear it so clear. If I ask you to repeat it, it's not because I'm not listening. It's because I'm trying to listen to you. So listening becomes a very important, that's the second number two way of acquiring Torah. First, I got to study. Then I got to listen. Right? Okay, so those two could apply to anything. The third one, interesting enough, is called to express clearly. In other words, I studied, I listened, and then I have to be able to repeat it, but clearly. It is fascinating. This is what I started the show with. I tell you, when I, when I prepare to study with my children, so I studied. Okay, I'm not listening because that's for my own personal study. But when I re-study with my children, I need the ability to express what I studied clearly. And when they ask me certain questions, that's how I figure out what I said wasn't clear. Or the way, even if I thought it was clear, but I, I didn't say it clearly. So this will help me in my own personal Torah study. Do you have the ability? And that's going to work for anything. Right? Anything you're learning, if you cannot explain it clearly back, you probably don't know it very well. And this could be with anything. If you can't explain it to me, you might get it right on the test. But the fact of the matter is, you are not clear. And that's a very important concept to, to really understand things clearly. Okay, next. Now, it is interesting. Um, after the first three, you would think this one should have been earlier. But actually, the next one is to understand. Right? My brain needs to understand. Sometimes when I like to study by myself, I say it once, I say it a second time, I say it a third time. And that's not always good enough. I need time for things to bounce around in my brain. Do I understand it? I think I understand it. I have a question. Do I have an answer? I don't have an answer. My brain has to understand it. That's part of acquiring Torah. And you have to give your brain... Yeah, different people's brains work differently. I mean, as a teacher, there's all kinds of ways we explain things. We teach things. We repeat it. We do it the next day. We do it the day of the following day. Do it three months later. There's all kinds of ways we get into this. And it's important for acquiring Torah. Again, any knowledge, um, you got to understand. Okay, now, now we start to move along and you have to decide um, where these fit in. So, for example, um, the next two on the list, are they're very similar. It's fear, 
reverence. In other words, the teacher that I'm learning from, do I, do I respect this teacher? If I respect the teacher, so then I'm willing to listen. Now, is there are people, I'm sure we all have this, I'm not saying it's a good thing, um, but there are people out there that you don't really respect so much for whatever reason. You don't like how they dress. You don't like how they talk. You don't like how they act. You don't like uh, what they eat for lunch. Um, you feel you're a greater scholar than them. You feel they do things that are inappropriate. It doesn't matter what. But if you have a teacher that you don't respect, you're not really listening. I mean, we go back to the beginning. You're not going to listen to the person. Therefore, you're not really understanding what he says. So this is, now again, this, unless they have to fear a college professor, that's ridiculous. But if you do not respect the person who you're learning something from, very hard to learn. And by the way, that could even work with a child. When I'm listening to my children, I have to respect my child. And if my mind is open to respecting my child's question, then it's going to go into my brain. Hey, that's a good question. If it's a good question, I have what to learn. It'll stick in my brain. I'll remember the question. I'll look for an answer. I told my class um, yesterday, there was a question that we had asked, and I, I knew I had an answer. I just couldn't remember. And I said, it's probably my Haggadahs. I went to search my basement. They're all so far buried. I said, it's not going to work. I checked through other books, and I found an answer. Right? And it was because I respected the question because I listened, and I repeated the question, and I liked the question, the question's in my brain. I went home, I found time to look for the answer, went through a lot of books, found the answer, repeated the answer today. Now, a lot of the answer was too complicated for a third grader, but for me, it's not too complicated. So I, because I had the respect of that child, so the question had value, I went and got the answer to help my study. Okay. So this first group, studying, listening, expressing clearly, understanding, fear, reverence, all that stuff, which again is for sure you have to have for Torah, right? But a lot of them you could think um, can apply everywhere. And I'm not arguing. I think a lot of them do apply in other cases. The next group, this becomes more psychological. In other words, some people will tell you you need it for all study. Some people will say, I shouldn't need it for study at all. You can debate it. But for Torah, if you want the Torah to stick in your brain, that, you need these next ones, even if you believe that they may not help me in other types of study. Okay. The next one is to be humble. Humble. What does humble have to do with studying? Who cares? I'm a big shot. I'm humble. I'm a, I'm a shmata. Who cares what I am? It's a very interesting thing. The, the Talmud says a, the following. There are three things that don't store well in silver, in gold. They only store well in an earthenware vessel. Now, we nowadays will use plastic or we'll use cardboard. Um, we could use glass. Glass, by the way, is, earth, is a type of earthenware, right? And what are they? And actually, I think in glass they're better, okay? That's water, milk, and wine. You know, if you ever drink wine out of a silver cup, it has a funny taste, right? People who enjoy wine understand that if you drink wine out of a out of a wine 
whatever you call those goblets or those uh, glasses, tastes better. And if you would store them, right, you want to keep them for a period of time, you got to keep them, again, in, in earthenware jugs or that kind of uh, material. Water, milk, and wine all store well, but only in earthenware. Earthenware, obviously, is cheap material. It's fascinating, right? Very cheap material, very ugly material does a better job at storing than a very expensive, for example, silver, metal, gold. Happens to be all these three things, the Torah is compared to water in many places, Torah is compared to milk, that's why by the holiday of Shavuot, we, uh, we, what's one of the reasons why we like to have milk products on the short holiday, wine, of course, is compared to Torah, and all these things, humble works better. So very interesting. There was a Caesar's daughter. I don't know which Caesar. I don't remember her name. I don't think it says her name. So one of the great Tanoim, um, um, his name was Yeshua ben Hanania. So for whatever reason, he had to hang out um, around the, with the Romans. He must have, uh, I don't know if it was political, but he helped the Jewish people when they had needs. He would go speak to the, to the Caesar if the Caesar's daughter wanted to talk to him, she obviously knew he was a brilliant man. She enjoyed studying with him or to talk to him about different questions. So she says, very interesting. She says, you know, whatever she called him, this you know, you are the ugliest man I ever saw. Again, the Caesar's daughter can say things extremely blunt or bluntly. She says, you are just the ugliest man I ever saw. Um, why, why, but you're so filled with Torah. Does it make sense? Your beautiful wisdom, your beautiful Torah is in a vessel that's so ugly. Most of us get insulted when we hear these things. Yerushua Ben was way smarter than that. He says, you know, I have a question for you. Your father has good wine, no? Oh yeah, we have amazing wine. What do you store it in? Oh, we store it, you know, silver, gold, we have, I'm sorry, and earthenware, and the, you know, pottery, um, that kind of stuff, glass, pottery. What? Pottery, earthenware vessels, that's for poor people like me. You're the Caesar. You should be storing your wine. You should be storing your wine in, uh, in silver vessels. So he says, oh, that's such a good idea. So, of course, she didn't ask her father. She went ahead and she told the servants, could you move everything from, the, uh, from this earthenware and re-pour all my father's wine into silver? Okay, a week later, King's the Caesar sitting by his uh, palace. He takes, uh, he asks some wine. They bring the wine. The wine tastes terrible. It's spoiled. It's horrible. He says, what's going on here? Well, what happened to my wine? So, I guess he figured out that it was, they changed the storage from the pottery to the silver. So he says, whose idea with this? He said, your daughter. Calls his daughter and he says, what's wrong with you? You don't store wine in, in silver. You store it in, in, in earthenware. Who? She says, well, Yeshua ben Hananya told me that I should store it in, in silver. He says, no way. It's impossible. He knows that you can't store wine in silver. Call him in. So he comes in. He says, why would you tell my daughter to store the wine in silver. You know it's going to get ruined. So Yeshua Hananya says, your daughter asked me a question. 
She says, why did God put his Torah in me? I'm such an ugly vessel. I didn't know how to answer. So I, I, I needed to help her. So I said, store your father's wine in silver. You see that beautiful, valuable things don't store well in beautiful vessels. God knew if I'm going to hold on to Torah, the only way for me to hold on to the Torah is to store it in an ugly vessel. And I see she clearly learned the lesson. I'm very happy. So the bottom line is, what do we see from here? We see that to hold on to Torah, I'm not saying we should all be ugly, um, but ugly will automatically lead to humble, right? I'm not a haughty person. Handsome people, beautiful people have an easy time of becoming haughty, and that would not be a good way of storing Torah. Oh, so many to go. We'll have to get back into one next week. The music is playing. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Of course, thank you all, wonderful sponsor listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you all the production team. We have Andy, who's back. I hope I left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Tree Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.